You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 19. Nowhere left to run. As White marched down the ramp behind her, Abigail disappeared inside the tall fortress. Captain Ozu, set up a perimeter. Nobody else is going in or out of that thing. Dr. Penrose will be coming inside with me. If Grey emerges... He paused and glanced at me. The Delta Contingency we discussed. Ozu nodded, and Silent Company began to spread out as White strode forth, and I hurried after him. What's the Delta Contingency? It's a means of trapping Grey. He replied without looking at me. Lying. He glanced my way, and before I could protest, he slapped a thin but very strong set of cuffs on me. You'll understand if I don't entirely trust you, Doctor. My medical bag and derringer were back on the airship at his insistence. I had crossed the line from ally to prisoner. And Abigail's back was now to the ocean. I hurried through ancient echoing halls, marvelling at the incredible heights the architects managed to build each floor to. Having never visited castles or encountered a building much older than a hundred or so years, this was alien and... what was that word? Cyclopean. Hello! Hello! I called, my voice echoing and reverberating. I listened carefully to detect whether I was as alone as I felt. The traces of whispering and strange music from far above filtered down, and I pressed on to find stairs. And stairs I found. The massively wide central atrium I passed into bore four immense spiraling staircases, one on each of the far ends of the room. I checked my compass. The one to the right, or north of me, had partially crumbled and collapsed. The masonry gathered at the bottom underneath yawning holes. The one to the south was constructed in the same way, so I decided against choosing it. The two in the middle snaked around one another, ascending toward the lofty vaulted ceiling, itself engraved with strange images. I saw a great flood being described in stonework. Gargantuan winged beasts swooped down from the sky. The end times. So when was this citadel constructed? After the end times? I took the left path of the two central staircases and hurried up. They were slightly inward sloping, and the stone was rough and matte, which made the footing feel firm under my feet, and a guardrail in the side of the stairs helped me to climb. It was all kinds of lucky that I had these accompaniments, because a passing glance down to the now distant floor beneath left me dizzy and fearful, even with my shield. I could hear footsteps echoing behind me from the entrance, and scurried up faster, wheeling around to find myself in an immense upper hall. Further staircases led off from the sides in all directions, which would take me to different parts of the citadel, but I was following an orange light, and that music. I rushed toward a doorway, which opened into a chamber where a tall and intense fire burned in the hearth. It warmed a room that had a single pillar in its center, vaulting up to a high ceiling. 
Beside the pillar, furniture was arranged. A short table with some kind of contraption on it that was playing the music. Like it was coming out of a box tube, only it sounded so much better. Less tinny and harsh. And it's whispered that if we all call the piper, will lead us. A long, velveted pink chair, set about with cushions, stood next to this device. A deep brown leather armchair, a small bookcase, and a wide coffee table. Upon the table was an evening meal of poached chicken and a familiar kind of fruit. And sat on the long chair and the armchair, respectively, were Greta and Professor Krieger. I had seconds to act. You two are in terrible danger, I whispered sharply as they both yelped in surprise at my sudden invasive entrance. A very frightening man is on my tail. He's going to want to take Greta for himself or even kill her. He has throwing knives and a sword and armor, and I don't know if I can beat him. Can you hide and wait for me? Yes, said Krieger bluntly. He took Greta's hand, led her to the fireplace, and slid a finger into a nook to one side of it. A passageway opened that led behind it. Miss Gray, please, come with us. He urged. I shook my head and motioned to him to close the passage as I heard approaching footfalls on the stone outside. Abigail stood in the center of the chamber, arms folded, watching White and I as we stepped through the doorway. This is as good a place as any, she said darkly, glaring at both of us. Where are they? Abigail's eye did not drift from white. I was just sitting down for a little supper. Would you like some, Doc? It's perfectly safe this time. Gray, you've dragged us across this entire nation. We are all exhausted, and I would really rather not fight you. So, tell me where they are, and the Doctor and I will leave you to your supper. Since the only ability you have that can affect the wider world is closing things that I want closed anyway, I would consider you no longer a threat to national security. You will be free, and everyone else can be safe. It was a tempting offer, and it shouldn't have been. A sudden, icy thought worked itself through my brain. One which had been sitting at the back of the class, absolutely silent, waiting. Was that why I had been following Greta and Krieger? Was it, in fact, just so I could turn over this woman to what? Internally, two incarnations of me were now nose to nose. Give her up, the cold one whispered. Free yourself. She was logical. She was also selfish. She was also illogical. I'm fighting to keep those doors open, the warm version of me declared. How badly do you want that, though? The cold one whispered. Badly enough to die. If you fight him and fall, you lose what you're fighting for, along with your life. If you turn her over... You lose what you're fighting for. But keep your life. The warm one looked out at me and shrugged. 
She's got a point. Wait a minute. I asked the cold one. I thought I was talking to my intellectual side. It seems like you're something else. The cold one hissed. So who are you both? I asked the warm one. Boil it down. What are these two impulses? Save myself or... And if I don't, I said aloud to White. Then you and I will continue this disagreement until only one of us is left alive. All the while I had been thinking, he had been edging toward me, gripping James by the collar. I had been stepping back and around into the space of the room. I didn't want my back to the wall. Now White turned to the doctor. You'll further understand if I secure you here. Before James could protest, White had undone one of his cuffs and attached it to a deeply inset metal ring designed to hold torches to the stone pillar. White stepped away and began to walk toward me. I glanced at James directly for the first time, having avoided his eye. He was panicking. This made me a great deal more afraid. White was now only a few feet from me as the doctor cried out. Wait, sir, please. The armored man was still walking. Then a single, bellowed word from James echoed across the room and stopped him in his tracks. White froze. The eyes within that mask widened. He did not turn. That name is dead now. I looked at James. He had known all along as well. He had kept this from me. For the same reasons I kept it from him. The doctor had invoked the true name. Matching my perception of that glowing red aura with whatever deductions he had made to piece it together himself. What I realized now was that I had wanted to be wrong. Thomas, your daughters are both alive and carrying that name forward along with the good work you and Sarah... Do not mention her to me again or you will not live to regret it. Why are you doing all of this? He had begun to step in from my right where my patch was, so I slowly, methodically circled away, aiming to put myself between this man and James. Play for time. Maybe find out a thing or two. I am doing what I have always done. From the very first time I was invited to craft the reawakening of America from the ground up, the only thing different about me is that I am now able to do all of this without fear. Because the worst happened already. I wasn't goading him or prying. This had been pricking at my mind. And now things were clearer. But you wanted to bring people together. What you're doing is the opposite. You're dividing. They're dividing. White corrected. Themselves from the rest of us. The rational people of the reunified states are now opposed to the irrational, who have singled themselves out. I trust you're not about to defend the rights of the new confederacy, Grey, the way your ignorant, hateful father most likely would. A surge of anger coursed through me, and he saw my eye flare up, but I held myself in check. That was bait. No. 
There is no way I'm defending anyone getting behind that flag. I shed no tears for white supremacists. But if we treat everyone we've made enemies of as equal to the worst, then folks who don't deserve it are gonna get caught in the crossfire. And if we don't, if we allow them all time and space to deliberate, then enough of them rise up against us with that virulent stream of deluded, unconsidered self-righteousness. Just as I wrote in the handbook, would you like to take it out and check it again? I might. I shot back. It has the signatures of a lot of people I admire in it, including Thomas Arlington and s several more. I think I need reminding why we're doing all of this. Abigail, said James, consider just handing over Greta. The handbook was a clarion call to the evolved. Ergo, anyone who refused to answer the call sets themselves against us. Well, both James and I answered that call, I said through gritted teeth. And the reason the two of us can't settle this with words is you keep bringing swords along. All right, Captain. White announced, retrieving a small key from his waist pouch. He tossed it onto the flagstones near James. Free the Doctor. I will make no attempt to stop you. After that, we can negotiate. He backed up several feet, his palms open, fingers splayed. Well, it was better than nothing, and it certainly beat death threats. I took a step to my left, and James cried out. Stop! Stop. I froze and stared at him. Don't come any closer, or touch the key. Penrose continued urgently. He doesn't know whether he can pierce your shield, but... I now became aware of the distance I would have to cross to get to James. How White had maneuvered me so my back was to an open, arched window, and he was blocking the exit from the room. My eye fell on those throwing knives. If I get any closer to you... He'll kill me and you'll take the whole endowment. The hairs on the back of my neck rose up, and I stepped to my right. White mirrored me. Okay, you motherfucker. I'll go you one further. You can't kill James and take his power while I'm alive. Because if you then take mine, you end up staggering around blinded with nobody to help you out of this crazy castle with a million stairs. You're correct. White sighed. In that I would rather not give up my entire vision. But if it comes down to a choice between losing one of my senses and letting this endowment go, I will sacrifice what I must. So, please, don't tell me your entire strategy revolves around my not wishing to be blinded. Ah, hell. I admit it. This time I didn't even have a strategy. Abigail, run! Burst forward, surprising White by slamming into him like a locomotive and knocking the man aside as I sprinted for the outer hall. I had to get away from James. You have been listening to episode 19 of Uncivil Outlaw, Nowhere Left to Run. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. 
Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose and Mr. White, performed by Alex Shaw. Professor Krieger, performed by Mad Wardle. And Greta, performed by Maureen Foley. Killers and Dragon and Toast, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes, including Biodome by Tabletop Audio. And many, many thanks to all who bought New Century audiobooks from Bandcamp over the summer months. Every single penny paid to me from those sales has now been donated to Black Minds Matter and the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Color Fund. So your dollars have gone into easing some of the pain and anxiety of this horrendous year upon some of those most vulnerable to the unfair system. Thank you. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Alex Peregrine, Angus Lee, Benjamin, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Dan Hepner, Daniel Salguero, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Veyi, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Marty Huey, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Trey Contreras and Tom Painter.